Hello and welcome to the 91st episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show we interview video game developers and ask them how they their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is the Broken Sword series of adventure games by Revolution. Charles, who are you and what do you do? Hello, Chris. Yeah, um, my name is Charles Cecil. I uh, am the founder and the managing director of Revolution, and we write adventure games, and we have been doing so for 25 years. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary. Um, personally, I've been writing games, uh, I was just trying to work it out, actually, for about 35 years. So, um, yes, lots of water uh, under lots of bridges. Indeed. I was going to my next question, the next formal question to you is, um, how did you make your start? And, yes, it's quite storied, isn't it? You started... Um, is it Arctic Computing? Is it? Is that what? well? Yes, I, I, I was. Um, uh, I guess those two questions are, are interlinked. So mm. I mean, to go back to, uh, I, I left school in 1980, and uh, I thought I was going to be uh, an engineer. Um, I, I wanted to be an engineer, and um, any particular a, type? Or mechanical, mechanical. Mechanical. Right. Okay. And because I absolutely loved the way that I've been inspired by Ironbridge in the way that. Um, those Victorian engineers had got new materials and new problems and solved them in really creative ways. Yes, Brunel and was a genius. Absolutely. Although yeah, and, and the idea that Ironbridge, I'm sure, yeah. but, but I love the idea that, you know, Ironbridge, they, they, they chopped the iron in, into dovetail joints because, of course, they knew, knew no better. Um, and that everything was new and everything was fresh. Mm-hmm. And I got a fantastic sponsorship from Ford called the Special Engineering Programme. And off I went, and it became fairly clear that actually the, the, the British car industry was in a, in a terrible state, and, and, and it was actually pretty depressing. Um, now, of course, I, I, I mean, we have these amazing statistics, like in Sunderland, Nissan produced more cars just in Sunderland than the whole of Italy put together. So, you know, our car industry actually is now superb. Um, but, but, but back in the, the late 70s and early 80s, it was absolutely riven with strife. And in the midst of this, I uh, met a, a friend who was also on uh, the special engineering program, uh, a fellow called Richard Turner. And um, his parents had bought him a ZX80 for his uh, birthday present. And he disassembled the ROM. Uh, and by that, I mean, he'd, he looked at the ROM and worked out exactly what was going on, what all the commands meant and uh, published it and was, I think, probably, if not the first, was certainly one of the very first um, video game or computer game publishers in, in Europe. Um, and he invited me to uh, write some text adventure games, which I did. Uh, and I guess the rest is history. Yes, it's um, there's, there's some pictures of uh, the collection of adventure games that come out for the, well, the three machines, I call them, the 80, the 81 and the... And the Spectrum, of course. Um, yes, yes, yeah. through Sinclair's. Um, uh, yeah. the, the, the ZX80 had, had 1K of memory. Um, and it had an odd and, ROM, didn't it? The other thing was and it had a very strange ROM because yeah. it, shared, uh, some, it shared its sort of thinking RAM with its video RAM, yes. which meant that it couldn't, it couldn't display and process at the same time. So if you, if you gave it a command, then or it, it, the, the whole screen would sort of shudder Yes. Um, as you saw the data going across, and then it would wait for a command. 
So the ZX81 was considered much, much more sophisticated because the, 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 the main processing RAM and the video and, and the RAM used for video was separate. Yep. So it could, it could think and process with, without actually interrupting the, the screen. So at the time, we thought that was an incredible innovation. Um, I remember I was there. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had an, that was my first machine was an 81. I learned to program on an 81. Uh, with the wobbly ram pack and everything, it was great. And the wobbly ram pack, but, but <laughs> in those days, you know, people kind of just accepted uh, yeah. the, the games. You'd, you'd load, try loading them again and again and again, and and then eventually they would load and mm. and, and then crash. And yes. Then the, 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 actually, there's something very interesting. Did you ever realise when you were um, playing these games that the the, the worst quality the um, the tape recorder, the more reliable it was? Yes. Um, there was two things I found. First of all, the worse the tape recorder was, the, the better it was. Second was, some games, I remember it was Donkey Kong or a Crazy Kong game that was like a, a rip-off of Donkey Kong before they could do that. It wouldn't load unless you were out of the room. <laughs> 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 I don't but, know why. <laughs> but that, yeah, and, and also what was great is you, you, could, you could actually hear and recognise. So going... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And and you very quickly realised exactly what game it was and and how far into the loading from yes. just that that pattern from the pattern on the screen like oh it's about halfway through how do you know well we see it's upper part now look it's going <laughs> exactly now but but wow. the reason the reason that and I think this is quite interesting the reason that the tape recorders had to be really cheap was that what the more expensive tape recorders did in there they had automatic smoothing. Of, uh, of 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 a square wave because yeah. ultimately yeah. what they wanted to do was they they wanted for, for for the more expensive ones to make the sound sound kind of smoother and softer, so they automatically smoothed off the hard edges. Now of course if if you've got a, a if you've got data, then you want those edges to be as hard as hard because mm. you want the the, the 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 computer to pick up the ones and the zeros. It's extremes, so, isn't it? It's, it's so it was extremes. Extreme. Yeah. So, 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 so that's why um, it took quite a long time, but, but all those sort of fancy kids who had expensive tape decks um, could never get their games to load. Yeah. And, and, and for those of us who picked up the cheapest thing we could possibly find, um, it, it actually worked really well. Yeah, I remember, I think one of the buttons was half broken off mine. So, yeah. <laughs> So, so you, you obviously you've been doing this for a very very long time. You have a affinity with with making adventures. Is this something you did a lot as a child before you delved no. into? Oh. No, not at all. Because um, I mean, I was very I was very pleased that uh, I, I actually passed my English O level. Um, and uh, but the idea of telling, st- I think what's what I think. It works so well, and what's so exciting about writing computer and uh, well, computer games, video games, is the way that the technology and the creativity merge. And it's something that, in many ways, is what I was looking for when I went into engineering. Um, and it is something that in the UK we have been particularly good at. Whether we talk about the great engineers, whether we talk about a great hero of mine, William Hogarth, uh, back in the 18th century. Um, when he was um, using his technical skill to create um, his 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 wonderful series of um, his wonderful morality series um, by by etching them into into copper, um, and 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 actually it's it's something that we have done well, and it's something that I think I see video games as uh, as a long tradition of um, British. 
engineering stroke creative talent coming together. Yes, we're very much blessed that we didn't embrace the Nez. I say this, and it's like, that's a horrible thing to say. Well, no, because it came so late for us. Fabulous machine. Don't get me wrong. Some amazing games on that machine. But we had computers, and they had keyboards, and the only limit was our ability to type in machine code. <laughs> and, and, well, uh, yeah, it, 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 indeed, I, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and we, we were lucky in that regard. And, yeah. and, and clearly, when consoles like the PlayStation took over, then that limited people's uh, opportunity to write code. Yeah. Um, which... Uh, and, and then when Tony Blair's government um, got rid of, for some insane reason that nobody can qu- quite work out why, uh, got rid of computer science and replaced it with ICT, then that further damaged um, the uh, extraordinary uh, heritage that had been built up by the competition between Sinclair uh, and, and Acorn Machines. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's go Commodore, because I say this, Commodore machines are awful to use. To program on, I'm going to get flayed for it, but their basic was terrible, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and also they were ugly. They were both both the Commodore 64 and the Amiga were ugly machines. Yeah, they were a bit. Yeah, they're a bit. But don't tell anybody I said that. Don't no. tell anybody I said that because people are going to get really upset. <laughs> I do see your point. I mean, the bread bin. They call it a bread bin. <laughs> it looks like a bread bin. Why is that a good thing? <laughs> Well, no, it's a good point, Charles. Good point. Um, but, but let's keep that yeah. between ourselves, Chris. Yes, yes, no, no, no one. There are going to be some people out there who, who, who get very upset by these they, comments. Yeah, they won't. You know, it's, it's all between us. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, as like I said, you, you've been making these games for a long time. I mean, is this something that um, the actual the, the first few was was it based on the Colossal Adventure from the mainframe games, or did you build from that? How, how did you first sort of delve into it before we well if, if i'm if i'm going to be totally honest yeah um richard and his uh, programming partner uh, chris thornton had a trs-80 do you remember one of those tandies yes i encountered those uh, at school sometimes uh, yeah no they, they were extraordinary yeah. um there was some there were, there were a load of computers that were so far ahead um, do you remember the pc engine yeah i mean the pc engine was uh, I never quite understood no. how the PC Engine, which felt at the time and probably was pretty close to Arcade Perfect, failed so dismally when the NES, which was so basic in comparison, was so successful. It didn't make um, any sense. And, and, yeah. and part of that was because people just didn't know. They they they, they saw the NES and they, they 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 thought it was amazing, and they didn't realise that actually it was really very weak compared to a lot of other Japanese. Uh, consoles that um, that they just hadn't made it over here. Yeah, so amazing um, shoot 'em ups on the PC engine. Our yeah, type, no, our type on it. Dear God, sorry. Our type. It's <laughs> you know, our type is my favourite arcade. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh God, I loved it, and, and it was so good on the PC engine. It was, oh my yeah. God. And yeah. the Specky, Specky port was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know how well, they did I'll that. I tell you that the, the I mean the Amiga and the ST was brilliant yes. because. I was actually working at Activision at the time. Right. And uh, a company, a German company, um, uh, called Rainbow Arts. Yes, I remember them. Yep. Produced a game that was an utter ripoff of, um, of our type. And it was, gosh, I can't remember what it was called. Um, it was at about the same time as the Great Guiana Sisters. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But it was a blatant and utter ripoff. 
So um, at Activision, we basically went to them. We served them with with with, with a writ because we'd licensed it and said, we're going to stop you from selling this. But if you wanted to do the official R-Type, they would love you to. Um, and, and so they did. And we published it. And it it, it was a great conversion. Um, yeah. Both R-Type 1 and R-Type 2 were, yeah. were absolutely superb. I, I, I personally love the 16-bit era um, because it was just like this a blossoming, awakening of like, look at this extra power we've got. Look at all yeah. this memory. You know, yeah. I know you were there at the time and I was receiving it and looking at it going, this is it. This is amazing. What we've finally gone from the, the, the squeaking to this sort of like singing almost. And it was, yeah. it was the, you know, the start of it all. And the sprites, dear God, the sprites are beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although having said that, you know, if you go back to the Commodore 64, mm. To begin with, it was very basic, but then Impossible Mission came out. Oh. And Impossible Mission was so amazing because they'd worked out, and it should have been obvious, but it, but it wasn't, that you could mix the high-res sprites in monochrome with the low-res color and get something that approximated to high-res color sprites. Yeah. And there was a bit, uh, the, the interesting thing is that there were huge constraints um, and people worked their way around. So it meant that people were very innovative. And I, I don't think that there's any um, coincidence that, you know, the Acorn, I mean, you, you know, ARM, ARM processors. That yes, I know. Yes. Smart. That's where they came from. And, and they came from Acorn. I mean, it, <laughs> they used to be called Acorn Research Machines. Yeah. Uh, and then they became Advanced Risk Machines, which is, I think, what they're called now. But mm. but, but but they don't fool us. We, we know that they come from humble beginnings, despite yeah. the fact that they're absolutely massive and hugely successful now. Yeah, it's just, you know, I never personally owned a BBC as a child, but I knew someone who did. And that was when I encountered Elite. Um, is that when you started... Bullying them for being saddos. Yeah, well, was that like rich kid? Look, <laughs> where did you get the money for this? It's like it's, it was. It's, you could buy a car for that, you know. It was, no, just, it was a lot of money back then. It's over, I think yeah. it was like fifteen hundred pounds nowadays. Money uh, was it? Yeah, because it's like four hundred quid. In, uh, uh, you know where it was? It was. It was. It was. <laughs> It was dads convincing, you know, their wives that it was for the homework. Yeah, and my friend, he, his father was an electrical engineer, electronics engineer, electronics engineer. And I remember he modified this thing so much, and he it, it actually had a huge black heat sink on the top. I remember there was a bolt going through it, and it, it would go white hot sometimes. It was so... Oh, my God. <laughs> like, are you sure this is safe? It's perfectly safe. I know what I'm doing. Just don't, just don't touch it, okay? We won't touch it. Extraordinary. Anyway, but yes, uh, happy times. You uh, know, uh, halcyon days, as they say. Indeed, but, indeed, yes. Um, but things did move on, and you did eventually. I mean, you started revolution, you know, twenty five years ago, and here we are talking about it still, which is an amazing achievement because you must have seen so many people come and go to the point where, like, I couldn't, I didn't see that happening, or maybe you did. I don't know. Not really. I mean, one of one of the things that um, excites me a lot is that when you know when we started in the in the early eighties, um, we, we we got to meet our, our audience. Um, things called uh, microfairs, and that was that was really lovely because you could meet the people that bought the games, you could find out what they liked and what they didn't like, and then progressively. Um, publishers and then retailers became more and more powerful and developers had less and less direct communication with their audience, which was very damaging in many ways because, um, you know, uh, up until, what, six, seven years ago, um, exclusively games were sold through retail and that meant that they were commissioned by publishers. 
And the publishers would commission games from developers that they believed that they would be able to sell to retailers in 18 months time or whenever the game was finished and and that they would have confidence that the retailers would have confidence that gamers would want to buy. So it, it, it was this sort of extraordinary situation where, where somebody would sit there and make decisions about what a retailer would think in relation to what a gamer would think. So it, it, it meant that we were we were unaware of what people really felt. And then everything changed absolutely profoundly um, in 2007 when, when the iPhone came out. And suddenly we were thrown back to the opportunity to communicate directly with our audience, to find out what people really wanted to meet them. And everything changed. And it was utterly extraordinary. And it was just, it was a snap, wasn't it? I remember. It was a snap. I think it was, it was a snap. A, I think it was a little bit more earlier than that. I think the Xbox Live had a lot to do with it as well with the indie games and the, the games that are arriving on those platforms. They also helped that. But I think you're right. Ultimately, the mobile platforms and the accessibility and the fact that, yeah, the dev kit, it costs you $100. What? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. $100. Then you yeah. can make games on it now. Well, certainly the earlier uh, Sony and Microsoft kits would cost ten to 15,000 euros. Yeah. Um, and, and as you say, now they're, they're, they're hundreds, uh, hundreds of dollars. So yeah. um, all of that has changed. It's made it much more accessible, and it's, it's, it's really good for everybody. It's, it's, mm. it's great for the gamers because they now they don't have that sort of crap that companies like, well, I won't say, but, but, but a, lot know, of, a, lot yeah. of com- a lot of companies would put out you know, cheap, cheap versions of expensive games. And that was necessary because retail needed a, a constant flow of, 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 of games. And you, you have your hundred the million. Um, mid-range, you mean? That, that's, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you'd have your hundred million, you know, block, tentpole games. Yes. Um, then the vast numbers of mid-range, um, fairly crappy, um, games. And, and, and there was really no opportunity for, um, for, for an indie scene. What everything was blown away by, by the, I, I think driven by, um, Apple because so many others like PC and, 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 and Sony and PlayStation then responded to that and responded very positively. But, but, but I think it was led by Apple and, our publisher um, of Broken Swords 3 and 4, THQ, was bank- went bankrupt within about yes. three years. Yes. And very, very quickly, a much better ecosystem developed where you still have your $100 million games. You have no mid-tier stuff, or very little, and a, a thriving indie scene. And it gives people a wonderful choice between, you know, really high production value, really expensive games, or, or, or much, you know, or, or, or very interesting, innovative indie games that, previously would have never been able to find their way onto a retail shelf. Yes. I mean, let's give an example. Um, Firewatch recently came out, which is related to what you do. Here's a, here's a barely a game. <laughs> it's an adventure game that you're walking around in an environment having an adventure. And it's just... No publisher ten years ago would have touched it with a barge pole. Like, no. no. No no way. There's no... What do you mean? There's no... Nothing really happens? Well, stuff happens, but... You kind of just go along with this. Stuff. There's no game here. Not really. No. Get out. Get out. You know. Yeah. And exactly. Whereas now people will fall over themselves. I mean, the other right. thing is that 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 when when the PlayStation came out, it was so successful, and the number of slots at retail stayed the same. So there became more and more pressure to get your game into retail, 
And the way that that um, trans- changed the, the, the business and the way that it, it, it reflected on, 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 on games was that the production values rose inextricably, that that meant the development costs ra- rose. And, you know, the whole thing became a self-fulfilling prophecy in that publishers kind of became more risk adverse. So they would turn around and they'd say, well, um, what we're going to do is we're going to do a game that's a little bit like this because we know that that one sold. Yeah. But it's better. So therefore, it'll sell more rather than this new technology. These new new ideas are coming out. So therefore, we should create something that exploits this, this creative leap or this technological leap. I think it's a fascinating story to, to talk about the evolution of the iOS and the mobile platforms, Steam, let's not forget, and also, you know, um, and and the, 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 the uh, consoles and well, how they reacted to it. These yeah. closed, what seemingly were thought, and still are, to a point, closed systems are more and more and more, more open. They had to in order to survive. Yeah. And, uh, and creativity basically said, I'm sorry, you're, you're risk averse thing, that's not sustainable. Oh, it's fine. No, really. Oh, oh bye. <laughs> like I told you, you know, it's, yeah. we kept on telling them. We kept on telling yeah. them. I mean, they wouldn't listen. And then eventually they had to find another job. Well, I, I used to laugh at, at the fact that publishers would say, you know, the, the spectrum is dead. And then every Christmas, huge numbers of spectrum games would sell. Yeah. yeah. And they go, oh, next year is going to be dead. But it never was. So if you, for, for many years after the Spectrum stopped going into being produced. Yeah. You could still produce Spectrum games, and they're very successful because the publishers were out of touch. Yeah. But then, but then the same thing happened when they said, "Oh, the PC's dead." Oh, well, yeah, the, they did. I remember I was there. Do you remember the PC's yeah. dead? Yeah. Um, and, and 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 the reason was because you know clearly, I mean clearly now it's a joke to say yeah. that, but but um, you know the reason was because retailers were stocking more and more um, console games because the margins were better on console. Mm-hmm. And they were producing, they were, they were stocking fewer and fewer PC games. So, again, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because of that, they said, oh, PC games aren't selling. Well, they're not selling because they have no retail presence. Um, and thank goodness for, for, for excellent companies like Steam and, and, and GOG, who, who, who realized very early that actually um, there were the huge opportunities um, yeah. to, 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 to bypass traditional retail. Um, and sell digitally, and and that again opened up huge opportunities for for independent developers like Revolution. Indeed, and the fact that GOG exists, and they kicked off with saying, "See, there's this old DOS games that you can't play anymore, or you could if you had five hours to try and figure out how to get an auto exec back to work." Um, let's just fix that and give you these games. Yay! <laughs> and as a genius thing, genius. Yeah, well, to a lot, large extent, we can thank ScumVM for that, of course, as well, because we can. We can. Um, you know, our first two games at Revolution, Year of the Temptress and Beneath the Steel Sky, were written for DOS. And yes. when Windows 98 stopped supporting DOS, those games were effectively dead. Mm. And, and we were approached by, uh, by ScumVM. In the case of um, Beneath the Steel Sky, we were approached by a, a young programmer called Joost Peters, um, who, who came to work, uh, did to do some work experience um, to convert the game across. Um, and it's been with us ever since. Um, but it was thanks to the, the work of, of people like Yoast and, and those teams at ScumVM that actually Lure of the Temptress and Beneath the Steel Sky could be played again after 1998. We decided to give the games away for free um, because our feeling was that if it wasn't for ScumVM, then, then we couldn't have exploited them anyway. 
Yeah. Um, but that then meant that the games were very successful um, because they were free, uh, which actually had a huge benefit when we produced the Apple, the, the um, iPhone version mm-hmm. of Beneath the Steel Sky because the game was actually very well known and, 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 a, and a lot of people then came and bought it, having played it for, for free previously. So, you know, all of these decisions that you make um, have have that you know that you make snap decisions and and then they have a profound effect years later when yeah. actually things change in a way that we didn't expect i still have my amiga copy of the is still sky um, oh god has it got 15 15 floppies 15 floppies in it yeah uh, how did anybody play that <laughs> well you know i was, I, was, I had some much i much i installed it on the hard disk so that's fine um, right, yeah, exactly. I was one of the, I was I was working at the time, so I had the funds to have a hard disk in my A twelve hundred, and I was fine. I was just I just sat there popping them in and eating some lunch or something while I was doing it, and uh, yeah, it was worth the wait because that game was and is fantastic, and uh, it's it's it asks very difficult questions that one that game. Oh and, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it went to places that I wasn't expecting, which means it's a good adventure game. That's why I keep on going with. With, with adventure games, if I find the characters interesting and I can relate to them um, in some way, even in passing, or can empathise with their plight, uh, then I'll go along for the ride. Um, I know plot's very important, but I think you know characters, you know, as a big role player myself, I find them. That's I, I believe that's the way the hub around which the story should revolve. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just think you know plot's important. Of course it is. If the characters involved aren't particularly interesting or just two-dimensional, it just doesn't flow. No, 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 absolutely. Well, in an adventure game, you know what? What it needs to be the the, the actions of the player character need to be guided by the characters around them and the circumstance in which they find themselves. Right. So, so anything that they do has to be logical within the context of what the player knows. And, and that requires us to design characters to behave logically and, 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 and stories that, um, that, 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 that are co- coherent, I guess, and, yeah. and consistent. Um, because, you know, I, I, I think it's much easier to write a slapstick game, to be honest, because then you don't need to think through the logic. You know, the, the, the joke is the fact that, um, you know, Some, the, the, yeah. there's, there's somebody's a doing effect. something that's a bit strange. Now, yes. that's not in any way to to criticise some of the excellent LucasArts slapstick games. Um, you know, I, I still so admire um, Dare the Tentacle, but but there were a lot of other adventure games that were hugely inferior to to, to that, which were slapstick, and 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 kind of had no internal logic whatsoever. And that was kind of part of the charm of them to to an audience who enjoyed the fact that they were frustrating. Audiences these days are not prepared to be frustrated in no. the same way. No, no, no. So, no, no, no. so the audience has changed, which means that you know those 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 adventure games, those those games that weren't as logical, that didn't make any sense, have no place today at all. No. Um, and I'm very proud, and I think the whole team at Revolution is very proud that that our adventure games from you know <coughs> 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, um, when when they're reinvented for for for, for new um, devices. Uh, are very very well received. So, so Broken Sword, when it came back out again, got an, a, a Metacritic on on iPhone of ninety one percent, which for a game that's twenty years old is is quite extraordinary. It's just it made sense. There was none of this. Oh, you know, you know the the the, 
ridiculous puzzle to the point where no sane human being would have come up with it unless you had some sort of guidebook or something. I think there was a yeah. there's a, a game that brought about the downfall of the clock reporting click or people cite it. Um I think it was Gabriel Knight where you had to have some cat hair on a on a, on a and you had to put some cat hair on a bit of sellotape which you then put on your face to disguise yourself. And there was no way you would ever figure that out. It was a ridiculous puzzle and it basically the genre had eaten itself that was generally exactly. it's like yes. you're done now you're done sorry cat hair D- okay okay well, you, you're, take your bag take your coat get out and that's what happened for 10-15 years but yep. we're yep. moving swiftly on to um, next question but I think we've sort of slipped into it what your biggest influences are um, <laughs> as a creator what do you find yourself orbiting most of all well I, I love interesting history, and mm. uh, I, I, I owe a, debt, a great debt of gratitude to Umberto Eco, um, who, of course, died um, on uh, the weekend. Oh. For, um, obviously, he wrote The Name of the Rose, which was an absolute classic. Um, and he also wrote a book called uh, Foucault's Pendulum, which, together with Holy Blood and Holy Grail, were the two books, really the only two books, that... Uh, hid these gems about an organisation called the Knights Templar. Yes, I, I, I know about them in passing. Well, right, might have read about them in my youth uh, because I was, you know, ravishingly looking for information. I did anyway as a, as a kid. And uh, but yeah, tell us about this. Well, they, they, it was it was the Knights Templar that uh, we used as the basis for uh, the first Broken Sword game, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, I mean, I, I can't sort of jokingly say that uh, that Broken Sword One, the plot to Broken Sword One, where an American goes to Paris and meets a sassy French girl, um, a journalist, and they almost get blown up in, in a plot involving Knights Templar, um, which is Broken Sword One, and also the Da Vinci Code. Um, and our fans are absolutely convinced that Dan Brown must have um, borrowed heavily from from Broken Sword One, not not a claim that I've ever made directly, but I'm very happy to quote our fans who say it. Yes, understood. Um, um, well done for that. For for, for, for yeah. reasons of uh, very expensive lawyers. And, yeah, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of his his work and, and litigation. Um, <laughs> I can say and, that too, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, they're, they're not well written books. No, and frankly, and frankly, they're not well researched either. Um, no. you know, he he has at the beginning of the Da Vinci Code. You know, he says, fact, um, the Priory of Sion has existed since the time of the foundation of the Knights Templar or whatever he says. Um, I mean, the fact is that the Priory of Sion was founded by a nasty little anti-Semite um, called Pierre Plantar in the beginning, the beginning of the 20th century, um, who was an absolute fantasist. And he, cla- he, he, he founded many secret societies, um, one of them. Uh, and th- his genius was to plant um, some secret papers in the Bibliothèque Nationale in, in Paris in, in the hope that somebody might find them. And, and I don't think even in um, Pierre Plantard's demented mind would he have ever have imagined or hoped that um, t- the English pair of, of, of Michael Bainiant and, and, and Henry Lincoln would come across these and, and write the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail and fall for his, his hoax, hook, line and sinker. Um, so when I was writing Broken Sword, you know, I, I mean, clearly this was nonsense, so I didn't put any of it in. Um, whereas Dan Brown, bless him, uh, when he read the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, put it in and, and, and claimed that it was absolutely a fact. 
Yeah, speak a lie often enough, it becomes truth. <laughs> um, I don't like to make that quote because it's from a very nasty person, but we all know what we mean. Yeah, um, yeah. It's true. Um, and, you know, there's other more better quotes like, you know, so we look about science, it's actually fact. <laughs> it's like, sorry. It's, you may not believe it, but it's actually true. <laughs> and, and the, you know, history, history has, you know, the, the study of history requires science because you need evidence and facts and you work, yep. you know, so, uh, it's, that's the other, it's, it's leading on to the second half of the show when I actually talk about the, uh, influences of Broken Sword. But before we get into that, then, who do you most admire in the video game industry and why? Can be a company rather than a person. Who do I admire? Hmm. Um, do you know, the, the, the game that, um, and you know, I, I don't play all that many games, but I, I play quite a few, you know, a few. Um, the one that really struck me is the. There are two that have struck me in the last two years, two, two or three years that have been really special. The first one uh, I'd like to name is Journey, um, from that game company yeah. because it just yeah. felt so fresh and so different and so new, and it broke all the taboos. Yes, I, I love the communication. Like, you, 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 the only way to communicate is via note. Really? Yep. Ping. Yep. Ping. So, so that was really good. Yeah, beautiful. And um, The Last of Us, oh, Left yes. Behind, mm. I, I thought was just a stunningly good, uh, well, it's DLC, um, but stunningly good for so many reasons. Uh, yeah. I thought that it was a story that was as strong as anything, but just as you get to the point at which the story might appear to drag, then you're back into the action again. And I thought it was beautifully crafted. I have to say, I do find the Metal Gear Solids really hard work because oh, there's so much cutscene which could be done in a fraction of the of, of the amount of time. So um, while, of course, we all uh, admire Hideo Kojima, um, I wish he'd go back to Metal Gear Solids one and two, which were just amazing. And, 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 and weren't what he considers to be an interactive movie, effectively. Um, it's a shame because, because once you get, you know, in, 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 in Metal Gear Solid 5, once you get past the, the kind of intro scenes where, you know, you're escaping from, from, from the hospital, I mean, that takes, it took me probably an hour to get through that. Yeah. And there's probably five, maybe ten minutes of gameplay. Um, so, so, uh, you know, that's at the other extreme and beautiful, beautiful game, incredibly well crafted. Um, but my God, you know, when you're talking about the, 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 the balance between the cutscenes and the gameplay, um, that really goes to show, I think, how well crafted, um, you know, games like, uh, like The Last of Us really are because they, they managed to get the, 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 you know, the, the action gameplay and the narrative crafted together so well. Yes. And, and it's, yeah, so, it's a final list of, of, of uh, people you cite and go, yeah, they could carry on doing what they're doing if they can. Although I understand Journey kind of broke that game company, it was terrible. Yes, uh, that's a real yeah, shame, isn't it? Yeah. It's terrible. It doesn't show in the output, doesn't. No, not at doesn't, all, doesn't not at all. Did you think, really? And this, this great strike? And, and the thing I could never quite work out is that one of the founders, Keely Santiago, went off and worked um, for... Oh golly, what was the company that did the little joypad um, games? Um, I have, you know, I've forgotten already. It's two years ago. Yeah, I um, lost me too, I'm afraid. But I do know. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, 
and 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 you know and and the other thing that was interesting i think about journey was that you know uh, it, it was founded by by Kili Santiago and somebody else so it was you know it, the producer was a woman so it, it was the product of a team that was very diverse yes and and i think that it's creativity and i think that it's that you know the reason it was so fresh and exciting was probably because of that diversity which you know again is a kind of lesson to us all that you know if anybody doesn't support which i'm sure almost everybody does but you know that that if, if anybody doesn't support the idea of diversity then you know this is living proof of of from a commercial and from a creative perspective of of, of what can happen if you you know you just open up your eyes to to, to new types of people uh, or sort of new groups of people um who who who, who then bring fresh ideas Yes, uh, something I've said on the show before, but I'll say again, we need more people making video games who have no interest in Star Wars. <laughs> well, in, in, indeed, indeed, indeed. What <laughs> do I ask? You know, I mean, it's happening, thank heavens. And, and but, it is. And yeah. but, but you know, the, the, the point is that um, you know I, I'm quite involved with the University of York and their computer science. You know, they complain that only 15% of the applicants who you know who are applying to to, to, to come onto the course are women. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason is that clearly that 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 for whatever reason very few women are 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 actually uh, applying to become computer scientists. Um, and I think part of that, uh, going back to what I said earlier, is because of of the Labour government's decision to scrap computer science uh, all those years ago, um, which I think was very damaging on yeah. um, very damaging on 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 the necessity and the. And the advantages of, of diversity, because uh, ultimately it turned computer science into this sort of slightly nerdy boys club rather than an open, um, creative, diverse group of people. So um, it, it, you will have gathered at this stage that I'm, 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 I'm very irritated. And I think that whoever it was that decided to scrap computer science, um, uh, whether it be Tony Blair or whoever it was, really did something very damaging. And it, it, it's interesting that. It took Eric Schmidt from from Google and a number of us in the games industry lobbying government. But it was Eric Schmidt who who turned up at the Matagot uh, lectures in Edinburgh about five or six years ago uh, and pointed out how we were squandering um, this extraordinary lead that we had in computer science uh, and how awful it was that computer science had been dropped. And Michael Gove. Uh, responded very very quickly uh, and reinstated computer science and and, and I think Ian Livingston takes a, a lot of credit for driving that through from 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 the games industry's perspective. I remember witnessing that, seeing that all unfold, people realizing that you know we shouldn't be teaching them how to use spreadsheets because quite frankly that is not inspiring in any way, and making macros in them, which is the closest they'll ever get to programming, is not the it's not no that's not what we want give them visual basic at the very very least but not absolutely that, and, and also know. the kids the kids uh, not every single I, I actually met one kid who actually quite enjoyed it but i've met 99 percent hated um ict because they they knew more than the teachers and, and they already knew they already knew what, what what they were learning yeah um and felt that it was a waste of time and and indeed it was a waste of and, time. Yeah, and it was it was the bunk off like this and now we've got ict you going probably not <laughs> It's yeah, not something no, I experienced right. as a child because I was in the 80s and we had one computer to the entire school sort of thing, you know, and that's how it was. Everyone had their own computers. That's how it, that's how it worked. Um, and, and, that's, and so my, my generation, you know, the, the generation X, as it calls it, ourselves, I guess, um, very different relationship with computers um, than our... Uh, but thankfully, the, you know, Raspberry Pi 
which is an extraordinary thing to happen to, to give that sense of like, here's 20 pounds worth of circuitry. Have fun. <laughs> it's just, it's great. And you're right. And it's giving power back to the, the, the youth, if you will, and say, look, these things aren't scary. They are ultimately just a series of switches. Well, they are at the moment. That might change in the future. And yeah. if you understand that, it's just ones and zeros. It really is just ones and zeros. Well, it boils down to it. Uh, and I've said this to developers, and they sort of pause and go, well, yeah, that's what it is. And you're just basically saying, in when you're doing computer programming, you're saying, well, when that thing does that, then this thing does that, typically. And it's just, you know, teaches logic. How powerful is that? You know, Boolean logic, how powerful is that to know, to understand how, you know, and you understand that actually the world is made up of a series of patterns. And yep. It's just mind-blowing when you see kids realising that and um, and they go, wow, that's what it is? Yeah, the whole world. It's great, isn't it? So, hmm. last question on the first half, and then we move on to the second half where we talk about the uh, anniversary collection you're releasing. Um, what are you playing right now? Uh, the last game that I played, uh, was, um, was Prune on (gasps) iOS. Yes! Good man. Which I enjoyed enormously. Good game. It's just, oh, it just, getting those branches Uh, moving, oh, just, I love it. It is, it is absolutely beautiful. Um, I also played Batman Arkham Knight, which okay. is so beautiful. It mm. is so beautiful. Is that, I got it on a PS4. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm not um, one I'm, I'm yeah. on PS4 as well. Yeah. I, um, so every time I played the Batman games, I was always given a PlayStation controller in my hand. Like, have a go, Chris. There you go. Plop. Huh. Okay, it's a PlayStation game. I know it's not. <laughs> I know it was on all three platforms and stuff, but... It's a weird thing. I'll just equate that to oh, it's a PlayStation game. Okay, fine. So yeah, it looks beautiful on that on on that chain. Yeah. So yeah, it's oh, what a game. It's good. And then the last one I, I played a little bit of was because I was a huge fan of Papers Please. Um, was where, is it Westport? Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Westport. I think it is, which right. is the newspaper, the newspaper game where you basically have to. Uh, decide what the headline is and um you you redact elements of a story um to spin it in the way that you want it to be presented to your readership i don't know if you know that one no i don't it sounds a bit like a daily mail simulation which is not pleasant (laughs) (laughs) it's it's it's, it it is a little bit like the daily mail but they're not quite that evil no one's that evil sorry it's, it's 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 a totalitarian dictatorship you know, in a sort of Stalinist style, yeah. but it's not as bad as the Daily Mail. No, not as bad, no, because they're just... <laughs> when I see people reading that thing on the train, I want to rip it out of their hands. What are you doing? Yes. <laughs> but then I become... Then I realize it's too the... good. You, don't, you shouldn't be so negative. The world... Honestly, the world is better than this. Yes. And we're better than this. Yeah, but I suddenly realized, no, Chris, you're censoring them. It's their choice. <laughs> if they wanted to be exposed to that, that's their choice. Don't deny them that. Fine. Breathe. <laughs> okay. Well, excellent choice of games. Good good man. I'm actually playing through XCOM 2 or struggling through it. It's oh! Too- yeah. Oh, XCOM 2 or XCOM yeah. 3? 3? 
Well, is this the second 3D? Because obviously we have the original XCOMs, then we oh, have yeah. the XCOM from about two or three years ago. Yeah, it's the XCOM from two or three years ago, not the one by Mr. Gollop and his brilliant snow. Right, but, but, but hasn't there been a second one, or yes. is there about to be a second one? There is now a second one. It came out about two weeks ago. Right, and, and, and you're going to go on to that, are you? I am on to it at the moment. I'm struggling through it. It's very, very difficult. I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. <laughs> so when you said XCOM 2, you're talking about the second version of the new ones rather yeah. than the yeah. second iteration. No, okay. And are you enjoying it? Because I love the original XCOMs. Um, I loved them too. I played the original XCOM. It took you to Mars. to spoiler, everyone, but it did. Uh, fantastic game. And then it went under the sea and it got even more difficult. But no, um, this new one is, is, is tough. It's really very difficult um, to the point where it's unfair. Um, and that's the problem I'm having with it. Shame. Yeah. Shouldn't be like that. But every all my peers are all saying, this should, why am I not enjoying this? It's just, it is, it's just not fair. You'll, you'll be face to face with the creature, run up against its more, you know, and you get a shotgun and you fire and it's, oh, you missed. What? What do you mean? And it's just, you know, when you see, when you see code like that in your face, and it's just like, I don't want to, I don't, I want to have suspend disbelief, but I can't, not with that. So, shame. Terrible shame. Um, I would hold fire and on a sale, my friend, if, if I may, if you want to take my advice. Um, they are, it's, it doesn't have the same, what they've done is they've done the sequel thing of, let's just make it more of the same, kind of, but much more difficult. <laughs> And they've, uh, and they've also added the lovely limitation that you, can, you have to complete missions within a set period of turns. Why? why? This is a turn-based game. What do you, no. It's not how a play is. But you have to force yourself. And when you do that, you expose your position because you're, you have a limited amount of resources in time. And therefore, it makes it even more difficult. <sighs> so, there are modders out there who are trying to fix it right now. <laughs> For which is a bit sad. <laughs> that much, much what happens to um, Skyrim, which is another. There's a mini game to Skyrim now. Apparently, you've got to spend two weeks downloading all the mods that make it even better. Not that, ah. not that I've ever done that. I have played Skyrim and, and finished it, uh, but uh, I would never go back to it because I'm, I'm done there. I'm done. So, speaking of done with things, let's move on to the from the first half to the second half, where we do indeed talk in detail about the anniversary collection from Revolution. Tell us about this. This is what we call a zeroth question. A what question? A zeroth question. It's a zero question. In other words, it's not really a question. It's your chance to pitch what you're here to pitch. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like a rhetorical question. It is, yes. It's like, you're, come on. 
we'll, Excellent. Before we go okay. to detail. So, so, so Revolution's 25th anniversary, it mm-hmm. is a collection of all the games that we've written over 25 years, from Euro the Temptress, Beneath the Seal Sky, a game called In Cold Blood, uh, Broken Swords 1 to 5, and probably something else that I've forgotten about. It's got music, original music from the time, from a, a range of composers, including the wonderful Barrington Felong, the wonderful Dave Lowe, um, who, who was an absolute legend in, 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 in the uh, 16-bit era. Uh, posters, um, a broken sword, USB memory stick, uh, audio CDs. In fact, loads and loads and loads of goodies. It's in a box, for, everyone, just to be clear. In, it, in a box for, 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 for £39.99. Pence. Amazing. It's just, that's what freaked me out when I saw this press release from uh, got, that dropped in my inbox. I went, no, they're actually selling a real live thing, and it's just, and then all the things in it. It's brilliant. That it is good. I'm, so I'm really excited. Now we hope that people will be pleased. Um, and you know, it's it's it, it it's exciting because it, it it leaves us at a revolution a strong position going forward. Um, we you know we we oh gosh do you know there is something I should have mentioned. There's also a um, a history of revolution which is made by a local filmmaker and it's about two and a bit hours and it's it, it, it interviews people like uh, Dave Gibbons. Uh, Dave, of course, wrote um, well. He, he he was we we partnered with him on Beneath the Steel Sky. You did. Um, yes. Dave is, is famous for uh, creating The Watchman mm. with with Alan Moore. And uh, it also interviewing Barrington Felong, who was our composers, composer for Broken Swords 1, 2 and 5 and In Cold Blood. Um, and Barry is a very, very accomplished composer of film and television. Um, there was interviews with Sean Brennan, uh, who was uh, running Virgin or he was he was our, our, our main person at Virgin when um when we were working closely with them and, and also with Mirosoft and, and extensive uh, interviews with team members as well. Uh, so I, I think, and it's been very, very well, it's nothing to do with me. So I, I think I can say it's been very well filmed and, and edited. So I think anybody with an interest in adventure games or revolution or probably just the games industry, uh, I hope will find it very interesting. Um, yeah. It reminds me a lot of the bedroom to billionaires, um, documentary that was released. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's kind of like style. that. Yeah. Um, but, but it's more, more focused. Yeah, more focused. And, and it's much more focused. Um, yes. But, you know, Bedroom to Billionaires was, I think, particularly interesting if you were there at the time, because, mm-hmm. you know, it meant a lot hearing interviews from people. I think if you weren't there at the time, it probably meant less. Yes. This is, this is designed for a sort of wider audience. Good. Yeah, I just wanted to tease out of you, because a lot of people say, oh, is this the one I've told them about this pack? They said... Oh, is that, that's the sort of documentary stuff. And they said, is it like that? I said, well, no, but it's probably, yes and no. It's more like a laser focused thing because it's focused on one developer and their history. And it's going to, yeah. you know, yeah. speak and, about it in reference to and, now. And what it does, Chris, is it, it, it kind of, in, in telling the history of revolution, it, it, it also charts the history of the games industry over the 25 years from our perspective, uh, obviously. But, yeah. We, we we also talk about how we responded to changing market conditions. So so hopefully it'll be interesting for people. So well, there's an awful lot in there for thirty nine ninety nine actually. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a bargain, absolute bargain. I'm not saying that because you're here. Um, <laughs> now I'm going to ask you about uh, because of the first sort of 
technical question maybe. Do you think the reason that Broken Sword games have been and continue to be popular is people are fascinated by the myths concerning the Knights Templar and other lost civilizations like the, the Mayans and stuff. Do you do you think that's one of the major appeals to the, to the games? I think, it's, I think it's one of the major appeals. I would hope that one of the major appeals also, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, is that we work very hard to make sure that our, our puzzles are logical, that the story and the characters within the world behave within the context of what the player needs to do next so that um, the puzzles don't feel like they're, they're there just simply to stop progress. I hope people feel that the puzzles actually complement and enhance the narrative rather than just simply block it from advancing. Um, we, we, we are lucky that we have two characters that are, uh, are popular. Um, the, you know, George, well, uh, I, 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 I've always loved Paris and... So with, with the Knights Templar, of course, it had to be set in France. Uh, and so it was logical that it would be Paris. So therefore, you know, one of them would be a Parisian. And so we have Nico as a sort of sassy French photojournalist. And in writing uh, an adventure or, or indeed certainly television as well, often you will have two characters because the the exposition will be conveyed, can be conveyed in the way that those two characters communicate with each other talk to each other so you know in a police drama you'd always have two characters because then they, they can describe to each other what they feel and in doing so they move the plot forward yes so the you know the foil to, to nico i thought what what would be the opposite of a sassy french um photojournalist and 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 so we came up with george who, who who's obviously from california much more laid back a lawyer and you know, the idea is that the two characters would be both affectionate, but also could potentially rub each other up the wrong way. And that hopefully that would create interesting narrative perspective from which we could then write puzzles that would drive the two through their adventures. So that was kind of what we were aiming to do. I would like to think that we were reasonably successful because of the popularity of the, the series and the fact that, you know, when we wrote the first one, the idea of, you know, you know, 15, 20 years later that we'd be writing five would have been utterly unthinkable. But, yeah. but here we are. And, yeah. and, and the fifth one has come out. Um, yes. Congratulations on that. It's something I say to developers. I know you've been doing this for quite some time, but I always congratulate developer and finishing a game because that's one of the. It's, it's, it's really hard to finish a game. <laughs> really hard to write a game it really is particularly an adventure game because yeah. you know if you've got you know i don't know how many hours there are on broken sword five but let's pick them let's say 12 hours that is 12 hours of unique content yeah huge numbers of unique animations a unique story unique puzzles unique loads of unique backgrounds it's really really hard work i have to yeah. say why anyone makes an mmo i still don't know <laughs> Well, indeed, indeed, indeed. I mean, I confessed I did play well for quite some time, and then I realised, hang on, I'm just hitting rats that are slightly bigger. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right, okay, I'm going to stop hitting rats then. Um, so the next question, I want to talk to you about what's happened in the last 25 years. You've hinted at this before, but this is a very direct, I like to think, blunt question. What lessons do you think you've learned over the last 25 years over the development of adventure games, or primarily Broken Sword, but what, 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 what have you found... Trust your audience. Trust. Trust your audience. Right. Because they'll tell you what they like and what they don't like. And listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it like um, all-encompassing? I mean, do you like, without 
hesitation or do you sort of qualify it? Oh, you qualify it, of course, because what you'll always have is, yeah, you know, if you if you listen to what everybody said, um, you know, the old expression that, 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 that you know, a, a camel is a horse designed by committee. Um, and, um, and and that is the case. But broadly, you know, what you what what we would always do is we, we would listen to what everybody has to say and, and then we would decide what because because ultimately your, your audience shouldn't be expected to tell tell you what they like. What they should tell you is their dreams and what they don't like. And then from that, you kind of interpret how that can be realized. Right. Um, so, yes, it is very, very qualified. But it's, you know, since 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 we've been able to publish games ourselves and, and through, you know, Koch Media, and they've been fantastic. It's been, you know, a great pleasure working with them. Um, but but since we've been able to decide which games we write and to design them, and we've been able to then get feedback from our community, that has been an incredibly liberating experience because, you know, previously, as I said, we were, we were writing games that a publisher with, you know, risk adverse publisher would, you know, would assume that they knew what the audience would ultimately want. Well, as, as I said earlier, they, they would decide what they had confidence that a publisher would want to stock. Yeah, it's a much much purer relation, much purer relationship now. Yeah, I, I think that I find it objectively the the, the high end sort of like multi billion, I'm going to call it that, multi million development in a very odd space right now. You get games like Destiny and like what is that? We don't know what this is. We kind of make it up as we go along, aren't we? Ish, and it's it's just, it's yeah, and it, but they've they've now had to listen to finally. Because they're, they're, there's a game that requires its audience. Without it, it's dead. They've yeah. had to listen, but sometimes they don't heed what they hear, yeah. Yeah. and they're, they're suffering for it. But sometimes they get it right. Sometimes, you know, it's yeah, you're right. Of course, you are. Um, it's a great answer. Very and very very direct um, to say. Listen to the people you make games for. You know, this is not. A, it's a two way street thing. This is not like other passive media, typically. You know. well, we're hugely lucky that these people, you know, take the time to tell us what they think, and yeah. they do so with such passion. I mean, they tell you what they don't like, and 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 that's every bit as valuable. Yeah, or in some cases even more valuable. The next question was an observation, really. I just want to ask you how this came about. I just noticed that Broken Sword games appeared on loads of formats, like DS, even the Wii, which no one was writing for. Um, which is highly praised when it came out. I remember, I, I adored it. So. Has this always been Revolution's aim to cover everything? Was it something... I'll tell you, part of it is that we're blessed with the fact that the interface for a point-and-click works across touchscreen, obviously, well, across the original mouse, um, across touchscreen, and and then also translates rather well to controller as well. So, you know, Broken Sword 5... Adventure games are very expensive to write, so therefore you do want to um, publish across any reasonable formats. So Broken Sword 5 um, originally was, was, was PC, and that was its, its lead format. Um, when we converted Broken, sorry, Beneath the Steel Sky to iPhone, we discovered that the touchscreen actually worked extremely well. We, we'd originally been approached by Apple, who, who had, um, b- before they became you know, so incredibly successful. Uh, and, 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 and they had 
um, they felt that because the the DS version of Broken Sword had worked with the with the stylus and the touchscreen, that there was no reason why you know the finger touchscreen shouldn't work. And you know we were we were thrilled to be approached by Apple and um, and, and did some prototypes and, and clearly it, it, it transferred well. Um, so we, we then did a, a Vita version, um, PlayStation Vita version, and, and of course the uh, iPhone and the Android version. Um, and, and then um, did some work on, on, on the controllers. And by through the way that the controller was moved um, in terms of um, in, in terms of the, the analog um, and helping the player, actually it translated really well, and we got great reviews. Um, so we're blessed with the fact that we didn't actually have to change the prime interface too much between three totally different U- UI formats. Yeah, and that's just, yeah, and, and and so the, and and we're very lucky in that that regard. Um, hmm. But uh, but but as I say, you know, adventure games are expensive, and and, and we do need to exploit them as widely as possible. Um, uh, 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 otherwise, we, we we wouldn't be able to justify spending that amount of money, which is what you need to do if you want to produce a a you know a cutting edge adventure game. Speaking of making cutting edge adventure games, of which there are many now coming out on Steam, I just want to ask you. It's my last question. You'd be happy to know, maybe not. <laughs> is, um, point and click games did suffer a hiatus for a while. You know, we talked about Gabriel Knight and the infamous cat hair um, puzzle uh, but now returned thanks to Kickstarter in part and self-publishing via Steam and other platforms like GOG what do you make of the games that have appeared in recent times and have they influenced the development of Broken Sword games in any way are you talking about ga- when you say games or do you, do you mean adventure games adventure games specifically other point of click adventure games like Wizard Eye and stuff like that and uh well, let's see. Oh, yeah, um, the Broken Age, the the game that come out. Yeah. Um. No, the answer no. is no. Not really. Um, I I, I backed Broken Broken Age. Um. And you know, and 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 good luck to Double Fine. Um, yeah. But uh, I, you know, I was more interested in games like Heavy Rain, um, which I, I'm not sure that it worked well it definitely didn't work perfectly no i like it innovated it, yeah 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 i did yeah. like it despite itself yes exactly and um, and it was hugely ambitious yeah. um and so uh and, and and its predecessor which had lots of different names none of which i can remember um from quantic dreams yeah um, the one that Far- starts fahrenheit. With the, yeah fahrenheit yeah. the one with the, the, the cop kind of being yes. butchered in the in the um in, in, in the cafe, in the diner. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so uh, I, I think you've got to, you, you know, basically developers have to look forward, and we, we well, I, I actually personally prefer playing that. I mean, it's very interesting that, you know, that um, Thimbleweed Park is coming out, um, which is absolutely looking back in terms of its 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 pixelated approach. Yeah. Um, and, and it will find an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how big that audience will be, um, but we, we, we certainly try and innovate and look forward. Yeah. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on, you know, how it, they've returned. The, the, the genre has made a comeback in a, in a form. Um, mm-hmm. whether people yeah. have learned from the past or evolved from it. 
I oh, think the, they the have. Ones, the ones I prefer, I have to say, are, are, are games like Didalic, um, mm. because they innovate in, in a way that a lot of the games that we've just talked about don't. No. And, you know, I loved, um, you know, when I came across uh, Harvey and Edna, which is about a, I don't know if you know it, but it's about a girl in a mental asylum, and she has a, a cloth rabbit that she thinks talks to her. And, you know, she's she's mad. She's as mad as anything. Um, and, you know, I, I just love the idea of a company like Didalic going to a publisher and saying, oh, we've got a great idea for a new adventure. It's about it's about a girl who's who's mad, uh, schizophrenic, and she has a rabbit that she thinks talks to her. And the look on the faces of, of, of that, um, you know, approvals committee. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it's a sort of slightly, slightly weirder games okay. that actually interest me more than, than the mainstream adventures, if I'm totally honest. Oh, that's fine. That's great. I much prefer that rather than us delving into um, sycophancy. No one wants that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, another side sort of note maybe is that I find the choose-your-own-adventure games that are appearing on the tablets is really fun. Uh, it's good to see those appear. Uh, the sorcery books, we had them on the show very early episode. And they did a terrific job of reproducing those. But it's oh, very, great. Yeah. You're talking about the Inkle, the Inkle boys? Inkle fellas, yeah. Yeah, I really like Inkle. I, yeah. I think they're great. I, you know, they're, they're hugely talented. You know, yeah. good luck. I, I met them at PAX East about four or five years ago. And a uh, lovely pair of people. And, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. They're, they're on the show and it's really good. Really good. Yep. Um, it's nice to see a new generation coming through um, yeah. and, and, and really innovating. Yeah. So, so you know, 80 Days. 80 yeah. Days. I really enjoyed playing 80 Days. Uh, there's a game called Lifeline on, on iOS that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these are all adventure games. These are all adventure games, but they're just not, you know, they're looking forward rather than back. Yes. And it, although, you know, the sorcery games, they're based on a very, very old sort of set of books, but they completely revamped them and go, no, this is how they are now. And it looks yeah. it's so good. So yeah. Yeah, very inventive. Now, more to the point. 11th of March is the release date, is it not, of the anniversary collection? Um, do you know, it's funny you should ask that. Um, it's, it's actually the, uh, the, uh, the 11th of March, it's the 18th of March. 18th of March, okay. Yes. So I've got a, I've got a, the date of 11th on, on my... Yes, that's because it was the 11th of March. Ah, yeah. right, so there you go. Changed, it's changed to the 18th of March for, for, for reasons that, um, that, that uh, we, we, well, for, for, for reasons that are irrelevant for this conversation. <laughs> yes, indeed. Understood. Uh, logistics. But it's called Revolution, the 25th Anniversary Collection. It's for Windows PC... It is for Windows PC, yes. And okay. I mean, the funny thing is that we're well, not funny at all. But you know, it's, it, in many ways, we're, we're hugely uh, flattered that uh, a lot of people on console get very cross that we we haven't done it for console, um, and and we would love to do it for console. But the games, you know, all the games work on PC, and currently only some of the games work for all of the consoles. So, you know, that's why we're constrained. But 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 it's you know, in in a way, it's a great problem to have that people feel aggrieved that they can't have this on on their platform of choice it does happen um there's for example we're going back to the xcom game xcom 2 as much as people are, are kind of doubting it it's not out on console it's only out on pc and they're going why have you done this why and yeah. quite frankly know. you know it doesn't make a lot of sense because it did work the first one the first new one if you will that worked fine on the consoles why didn't you why did you do that very strange of, of, of them to do it but they did there's their, their choice their, their prerogative and uh yeah and it's you know, like you say it's great to have that audience so up and say 
oh come on, you know, we'd want to have this stuff too. Like yeah, but yeah, yeah it's just not gonna not gonna fly. <laughs> Especially the earlier games, um, Lure of the Temptress, which I do hold in great regard and huge amount of fondness. I couldn't. I, what I loved about that game is the puzzle made sense. They fit into my head. Not like the other click and pointing clickers that I loved. They were just like they were obtuse to the point of distraction and like, what are you doing? Why? That made no sense. Whereas your, you know, I never felt when I did something wrong, I was stuck. I always knew that I could come back to it ten minutes later and figure it out. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't. Be, it, that's that's why I, I believe when I pick up a revolution game, I know I'm probably going to get through it because the the people behind it are insane. <laughs> Well, thank you, Chris. That's a compliment <laughs> indeed. <laughs> so, do carry on uh, doing what you do. That's all I can ask. So, Charles, thank it's been fantastic having you on. Um, more it's been welcome. a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, it'd be um, more than welcome to come back on when we have the sixth game. Who knows? Or whatever else you're working on next. Um, but, um, yes, thank you very much. I wish you all the best, very best of luck in the future. Great. Lovely. Well, thank you, Chris. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer and listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye